Uh, ever have someone in your life that you just see as a strong figure suddenly get weak? Um, I've had that in the last couple of years. A good friend of mine, Dan Owens, fantastic preacher, leader. He's about 10 years older than me. When I first started preaching, he was a mentor. He worked for Luis Palau. And he took me under his wings and was such a help in those formative years. And I always thought, if, I, if one day I could preach like Dan, I'll be effective. And so Dan's been a hero. Well, three years ago, he came back from a trip to Romania, and he was just feeling ill, pain in his leg, long story short, cancer. And I've been tracking with him for the last three years as he's been going through a very rare and very deadly form of cancer. And I was reading a post from Uganda just a couple of weeks, not a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago. And um, the latest news from, from the doctors, they've done everything, everything, everything. And basically, the way he put it is like, I'm in the lobby on my way home. And uh, Dan, who's just in his mid-50s and three kids, wonderful wife, fruitful ministry, all the stuff. He's just been so strong. And I'm looking at photos of him from where he was when I first met him. And now to see him, he's just so frail. Um, and that can happen. Uh, what we're going to look at this morning, the reason I share that is, is even the strongest of people have moments of weakness. Even the most powerful of persons has seasons, at least minutes, hours, if not years, where you just don't feel uh, as strong as you used to. And in the Gospel of Mark, this is the first time we see Jesus in a very weak state. Just, let's just look at it. Verse 32 of Mark 14. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and, and troubled. Look at, the, look at the statement of Jesus. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for an hour? Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing, and he came back. He found him again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. What a phrase, you know? Their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners, Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. In the next few weeks, we're going to see Jesus and the details of his crucifixion and his resurrection. But we all want to live on the mountain, um, but we find ourselves in the valley. Everyone wants to live in Forest Heights if you got some cash. Or, you know, it's funny, no matter where you are in the world, we're in Uganda. The rich live where? In the mountains. The poor live where? In the valleys. It's a natural thing. I mean, A, it's the view, right? But more than that, there's a symbol. We all want to live on top, but sometimes we find ourselves in the valley. Um, and that's where Jesus is literally. Gethsemane is in a valley just below Jerusalem. 
And Jesus has been teaching up on the mountain. Remember, Jerusalem is sitting on a hill. The temple is on a hill. And he's been teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. And no one believes him. And now he's on the way to the cross. But he goes into the valley, Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane, literally, like it's a Hebrew uh, word. And it comes, it's the, the crushing of olives. It's an olive grove. And as you collect olives in Gethsemane, you bring them to a press. It's an olive press. And it's more than natural. That's where you take the beauty, the olive, and squeeze it and produce the life-giving oil. But more than that, Jesus is there. And in a strange, symbolic way, he's about to be crushed. But he's in the olive groves. He's in Gethsemane. And we're getting this glimpse. Mark gives us this glimpse into the realness of Jesus. We all want to live in the mountain. Now, Jesus has a great vision. His vision is you. His vision is me. Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. We, we've seen it in Mark's gospel. Mark's bringing us all the way quickly, quickly, quickly to the last week of Jesus' life because what Jesus has done is unique and it's beautiful and we need it. And as he has a vision for his life, we have a vision for what God might want to do in our life, in our world. And if you have a vision for anything, if you have a hope or a dream of anything in this life, you need to know that there are mountaintop experiences and there are valleys. You get both, right? I mean, think about raising a child. There's the mountaintop experience, but there, there are the valleys. If you've ever tried to raise human beings, you realize that there are highs and lows. Uh, so much, I don't know if you realize that, I don't want to depress you on a Sunday morning, but do you know how much kids cost? Do you have a vision for, for raising kids? Do you know how much kids cost? Too much. Yeah, too much. Yes. On average, statistic, fact, as of last year, from birth to 18, not including this thing called university, $302,000 to raise one child in America. One. Driving four, it's more than a million, 1.2 mil. No wonder you can't go out to eat. I mean, I mean, think about it. it. Kids are expensive. You have a vision to raise kids. There are mountaintops, like hearing them say their first words and losing their first tooth and seeing them grow in character and, and be all that God made them to be. There are mountains and there are valleys. And we need to know this morning that Jesus gets both. He's about to go to the mountain, literally, and be crucified and fulfill God's call in his life. But before that, we get this, this window. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're having a mountaintop experience. Life is good and all is well. But I think about my friend Dan, who has preached to hundreds of thousands of people and all that. And right now he's in that, he's in that valley. What do we do when we're in the valley? We've got to remember this morning that Jesus is in the valley. That's where he finds himself. So if you've ever been at a place where you're wondering, like, wow, I, I said I do to this person, but now it's just getting really hard. Uh, I started this business and I had this dream of doing all this great stuff and, and now it's just hard. I'm trying to be a good friend, a good neighbor, and wow, why all this conflict? It's just hard. If you're in a valley, what we need to remember is that Jesus is there. Jesus is in the valley and he does understand because yes, he's God, of course. But what we see in Mark's gospel is that he's more than God. He is man. And he's crying out because he does not, in one part of who he is, does not want to go through the pain and suffering that is, he's, he, he came as a preacher. Think about it. Jesus came preaching good news. And I've got to believe 
that when Jesus is announcing great news that God is forgiving people, God is bringing people back, God's going to deliver Israel. I have to believe that Jesus the man thought that people would take him at his word, right? You, you create this product and you think it's the best product. You go out there and you believe that people are going to want your great product. Well, Jesus is preaching God's message and you think that people would listen to Jesus. So he's dealing with the emotional weight of him preaching and announcing. He's God come. Great news of God's forgiveness and people are rejecting him. And now he's realizing, oh my gosh, my minutes. I can count, forget about the number of days or years. I can count the number of minutes. Suffering is about to come. What do we do when we're in the valley? Two things I want you to see this morning. This is very non-complicated. It's so simple, but as a follower of Jesus, I default to fear instead of the, the pattern of Jesus. What we want to see this morning is just what did Jesus do when he was in the valley? So that when you, when you hit that spot, if you're in it now, maybe this would be a relevant word, if you're going there, uh, just tuck it away and write down some notes. It may be an encouragement. Two, two things that Jesus does while in, the, while in the valley. Number one, he calls on his friends. Right? Let's not overlook this. Look at verse 32. He's in the place called Gethsemane, the place where olives are crushed. He says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. But then verse 33, he takes Peter, James, and John along with them and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He takes three. He doesn't take all 12. He doesn't take 70. Then take 120. Jesus takes his three most intimate human friends and he says, disciples, I need to go pray. Oh, but, Peter, James, John, just come with me. And he's deeply anguished, disturbed. He, he's wrestling. This is hard. And he's got his three people. And I think it is a good reminder for all of us, when you are in the valley, you do not and you should not walk through it alone. Part of the experience of following Jesus is experiencing it together. I, I just love Kenny's little comment, like he just moved in and it was real simple. When someone's moving the community to partner with you and serve with you, man, they shouldn't unload the truck. I mean, Kimberly's fine and all that, but she shouldn't be lifting heavy couches and they got Parker to take care of. Um, we should be there. So a few of you got together and, and just unpacked boxes and moved stuff and provided food in the fridge, I'm assuming, or something. We, when we go through the valley in a tough time, we should not go alone. So Jesus called on his friends, Peter, James, and John, which just makes me wonder, and let me ask you this morning, who are your three? Who are your three? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet, pick it up as a habit anyway. But if, if you don't have a couple of people that you can turn to in your moments of weakness, it is going to be really hard. And the enemy of our soul wants to pick us off solo because if it's just me, he could get me. But if I'm surrounded by a Peter, a James, and John, I've got people. For, for me, it just happens to be some of the elders in this church. I think of Tony, and I think of Scott, and I think of Steve, and I think of Jim, and another Scott. We have too many Scots. You know, like, I can talk to them about anything, and they can, they can come to me about anything. They're, there has to, you can't tell everyone everything. Would you agree? You just can't. It doesn't work. And it's actually not healthy. If I told you everything I was thinking, you probably wouldn't come to this church. <laughs> right? I have thinkings. I have feelings. If someone agrees. I mean, I, I'm like, maybe they're not coming back. I don't know. But, but if I were to be fully honest about everything going on and who I am, 
No one would want to be around me. But God has provided this thing called relationship, and there ought to be a few that you could go to about anything. So he says to Peter, James, and John, man, I need you now. Call on your friends. And that's what Jesus does. He calls on his friends. Um, the second thing, and, and don't miss this because it's not enough to call on friends. Friends fail, would you agree? Friends are good. They're like necessary, but they're also human too. So Jesus calls on his friends. Now we know what his friends do. They sleep. No, 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 don't blame them. We were just on a bus. I cannot, you come to Uganda and half your time is on a bus. Where's Cheryl? I'm, right, half the time is on a bus. So we were driving um, in a bus from Rukunjiri, way in the west, back to the capital. And our bus broke down. Duh, it happens. And so we didn't get out till about five in the evening. And we were going to arrive into Kampala about one in the morning. And I'm sitting at the front of the bus next to the driver, Patrick, to make sure he stays awake. I got a bus full of people I know and love. I don't want them to die with a, a driver falling asleep. So we're driving for one hour, two hours, three hours. And I love the phrase here, their, their eyes were getting heavy. You know, it just happened to you. And so there I am in the front of the bus. Patrick, I said, Patrick, you need a soda? No, I'm fine. Okay. Patrick, do you need anything? I'll, I got it. You know, like, no, no, I'm fine, fine. And then I find myself, you know, the head nod. And then you ever wake up and your mouth is open and you're half drooling? Has it ever happened to you like you're just like, oh, no, maybe it's just me. And, and so I was trying to stay awake to keep my friend awake so that all of our friends would live. Driving in Kampala can be a little sketchy. And, and I found myself just like the disciples. I'm, I'm sleeping. I, as good as a friend if I want to be, I'm just not that good. So Jesus calls on his friends. That's the first thing we need to write down, press it in our brain, Find your three, find a few. But the second thing is, is Jesus calls on his father. And that's the, the thing we want to really look at. Verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. In his moment of distress, Jesus does not just call on his buddies. Buddies are great. But he goes, he goes a little bit away from them and he goes to his father. Now you need to know something, a little nuance. Jews pray standing up. You, in first century Jews, they're going to you know, pray standing up with your hands lifted up to God because all blessings come from God who's above. And so I, when I pray, I, I pray like this. Only in the desperate moments, you know when someone's really desperate when they get on their knees and they beg of God. So Mark is writing with precision. Jesus fell to his knees. The desperate man falls to their knees. And he pleads with God. And I think that is so telling. What do we do when we find ourselves in the valley? We need, to, we need to call on our friends. We need their support. We need them to stand with us. But don't, don't assume that your friends are just going to pray you through. Jesus himself goes to the Father. He goes away and he says, Father, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Abba, Aramaic, common language of Jesus' day. He probably spoke Aramaic. Um, and it's, a, it's an intimate word. A lot has been said about Abba. I don't want to overplay the word, but I do know this from all my research. No one would call anyone Abba unless they're a part of the immediate family. So, so there's like, you could call my father, hello, Miguel. You could even call him dad. That would be very strange, but you could. You can call my dad your dad. That would be weird. But you can't call him pops. 
you know, because he's my pops. You know, like that. I'm related. My father is my dad. So there are names that you call your dad that no one else does. Well, well, Mark tells us that Jesus uses probably the most intimate language to speak about his own father. Jesus and the father, they're one. Father and son, there's something there. God has come and he cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. What does that mean? Get me out of Dodge. You hear what Jesus is saying? Everything's possible for you. Like, I know we came to save the world. Cross, painful. Take this cup from me. The cup is the cup of suffering. So he wants to accomplish the mission. Does Jesus want to be mutilated? Absolutely not. Yes, he is God, but he is a man. And when you know that you're about to go through the worst horrific pain possible, you ask the Father to get you out. And then, of course, the balancing line. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so how do we come to the Father? We come to the Father. When you call on your friend, sure, but call on your Father and call on him with honesty. You do not need to pretend with God. And you don't need to like Christian pray with God, you know? If your prayer life sounds more like the King James, you're missing it. You know, Father, thou art the highest above that. He is. I mean, he's all that and then some. But he's also your father. And how do I know that? Just uh, turn your Bible to the right. Just turn to Romans chapter 8. Hold your finger here. I just want you to see this. This Abba, this, this intimate, close connection with God, this daddy, um, one of the early Christians picks up on it because you don't see the word Abba, but I think three or four times in the Bible. But in Romans 8, the, one of the early Christian thinkers figures what Jesus has said and applies it to all of us, which is pretty amazing. Romans 8, and we'll look at verse, um, let's see, let's look at verse 14. Romans 8, 14. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. Just pause for a second. The implication Jesus is saying is because we've been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one that gave Jesus the power to do all of his miracles, Jesus didn't do his stuff because he was God. Jesus did everything he did because he was full of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, it says the Spirit of God came upon Jesus and then he went out. He didn't do any miracles until the Spirit of God came upon him. So when you and I come and receive Christ and receive the Spirit of God, it's the spirit of adoption to sonship. That is, my relationship with God changes. Now I don't call on God like some distant beggar. I can call on God as if he is mine and I am his. And that may sound foreign for you and disrespectful, but look at what he continues to say. And by him, by the spirit, we cry exactly what Jesus says, Abba, Father. You don't call Abba unless you're related. And in this case, Jesus is saying, uh, Paul saying, functionally, you are related. You're in union. You're connected to the Father, the one who made you, the one who knows you. You are in him and he is in you. Therefore, you can be real. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we're God's children, we're God's heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, and this is the part I wish wasn't there, we, we share in his sufferings 
in order that we may share in his glory. So early Christian thinkers are realizing, oh, wow, Jesus, Abba, Father. Jesus goes through suffering, and the Christians are going through suffering. And how does that tie together? Jesus is in the valley, and he knows that we will go through the valley. And so connection with Jesus, hear this clearly, is about everything. So I get life that's in Jesus. I get adoption of sonship that's in Jesus. And in this life, part of God's plan for me is to accomplish things, do things in his name. And that's going to require going through valley, suffering, hardship, uh, fulfilling God's purpose and plan for your life does not mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there's no pain. It doesn't mean there's no suffering. It doesn't mean there isn't any hardships. But what Paul is saying, what scriptures are saying, what Jesus is saying is that, yes, you do go through the valley, but you are not alone. You can call on your father and your father will bring you through. So what we'll see in the next few weeks is Jesus will go to the cross and he will achieve his purpose and he will not back down, but he will be the sacrifice once for all. Once for you and me, once for all to be saved who choose to call on his name. And Jesus could do it. And so in the same way I can say to you this morning, if God is calling you to do something, if he's called you to break out and achieve something, if he's called you to lead something, whatever it is God has called you to do, he can and will enable you to do it. And if that means it's going to go through a valley and it will be hardship, it doesn't mean that we're going to escape it. It does mean that we can go through it. And all of this is because Jesus is with us. The Father is with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And so the Father, by the Spirit of God, is with you in your valley. And you need to know something. You may be in it now, but it doesn't need to end there. This is, this is so good. Back to Mark um, Mark 14, at the end, Jesus is rebuking his disciples because they can't stay up and they're just sleepy and they don't get it. And I feel like that. If you feel like, man, I, I'm not really alert and awake to what God's doing, don't, don't feel bad. Jesus is closest. They don't understand the moment. And I think some of the challenges that we have and some of the reasons we get confused at times and maybe lose faith or lose hope is because we're not fully alert to all that God is doing. The disciples are physically tired. They just went through Passover. Jesus pulls them out to pray, and they don't realize how significant this moment is. And sometimes in seasons of our life, we're just overwhelmed and wondering, God, where are you? And God, why? Can I just suggest, it's because we're like the disciples. We're not fully attuned to all that Jesus sees and all that Jesus knows. So Jesus is attuned to what's happening, but the disciples aren't. Now, what does he say? Verse 41, returning the third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? He says, enough. Uh, in other words, it's over. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to leave. Uh, uh, that word enough is intriguing. It's a hard word to translate. You could translate the word paid in full, which sounds like a different kind of nuance, but or the or. A better one probably is even the bill is paid. Uh, enough. This is over. The bill is paid, paid in full, done. Move on. Jesus has hours in intense mental anguish, suffering, feeling the weight of it. But in prayer, in his communion with God, even though his friends leave him, the Spirit of God is there to comfort him. The Father is there to talk to him. And the Scripture doesn't say it. But you have to think at some point in their conversation, because Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. 
the father has to speak to the son and say, no, this is the path for you. And Jesus submits himself and says, yes, whatever father, whatever you want is what I want. And okay. And then he says, enough. Paid in full. Bill is paid. He gets out of the valley and he's going to climb up to Jerusalem. And he is going to suffer. And it is going to be hard. But he's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to achieve what he needed to achieve for your good and mine. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying that valleys are just about a season. And if you're in that right now, you just need to know it's go- you're going to get out. And the way of escape, so to speak, the way through is not just to sit and sulk and wonder and doubt, but call on your friends, call on your three, call on your group, tell them to stand with you when you're weak, and call on God for yourself. In these moments, don't, don't give in to the temptation to slip away and and say, oh, forget it, or prayer doesn't work, or I, I don't know, maybe i got to figure it out myself. But pause like Jesus and spend time with the Father, and the Father will at the right time whisper to you what you need to hear. And you will have the strength that you need, and you'll have the boldness that you need, and you will be able to say like Jesus is able to say, enough! And he steps out, and then he Tells him, the the betrayer is at hand. Let's go. It's time to get up, boys. There's work to be done. And Jesus fulfills his purpose. So this morning, we just need to ask ourselves, if you're in the valley, what is it that's keeping you there? Have you found your three? Are you trying to go it alone? I just hope this morning you look at the life of Jesus and that you'll choose to take his pattern and make it your own. Grab some friends. But maybe it's just that we need to spend time with the Father. Maybe, maybe some of us in our moments of weakness and fatigue and humanness, we're slipping in our own pursuit of the Father. What does the Father have to say about your situation? The Father always has something to say. And if we'll press in, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, continuous. Keep asking, keep seeking, knocking. Jesus talks about the woman at night who just keeps banging on the door and she won't give up. And eventually the guy gets up and puts on his robe and gives the woman what she needs. Jesus tells a parable about the woman who wants justice and she keeps knocking on the judge's door until he gives gives the final verdict. Jesus is saying and showing that the pursuit of the Father will eventually give us what we need. And so I, I guess I... You just leave it at this. Whatever we need is from the Father. And if we'll ask and seek and knock, God will give us exactly what we need. Will it be in the timing that we think it will be in? Probably not, right? I think we've all been there. And sometimes it feels like the valley is like a year-long experience. For my friend Dan, three years, three years of highs and lows. And right now, he's, uh, he's convinced, at least by email and our communication, He's convinced this is, this is the end of his season. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the lobby. I'm at the doorstep. I'm going to go home. And, I'm, and, and his statement is, don't feel sorry for me. And how do you do that with a son still at home and a wife and all of that? You see, I think Dan is discovering that when you hear from the Father, the Father will give you what you need. And it, it, it could be a season of intense suffering. It could be a short season. We don't know the seasons, but we know that the Father's enough.